What will we be talking about today, Dennis? Oh, look, Jane and I for a number of weeks have been tossing around and more than that, discussing very seriously what I consider to be a worldwide epidemic, particularly in Western countries, and that is the condition known as type 2 diabetes. Now, I know some listeners might say, oh, we're touching on this topic again, but look, it is so important and so critical for people to have an understanding of this and what we can do about it that to spend a bit of time on it again is worthwhile. I think we may very well do that. Mm. I'm just going to throw one at you, Dennis. You mm. mentioned epidemic. Yeah. Why do you say it's an epidemic at the moment? Well, I think it's an epidemic evidenced by the fact that the condition now is so serious that in the United States, by 2050, which is not too far away, over 30% of the population will have type 2 diabetes. Now, that indicates the trajectory of this condition. It's high now, but a number of factors are contributing to its acceleration. And so when we say it's an epidemic, it's an epidemic in motion. It's existing now, but it's in motion. And unless there is a a dramatic reversal in attitude towards it, particularly causative factors, the healthcare burden of Western countries is going to be strained to the hilt by coping with this emerging, accelerating epidemic. Good afternoon, Cathy. You would like to talk about pins and needles in your feet at the moment. Yeah, uh, well, not mine, but my husband's. Um, he's had pins and needles in, in his feet up to the ankles mm-hmm. uh, for quite a number of years, and he's, he's been to the doc- several doctors about it, and they said, oh, it's not, it's not worrying you, don't worry about it. But he's been to a specialist. The specialist said there was nothing wrong with him. He hasn't got diabetes. He's taken a do- you know, doses, high doses of magnesium. Uh, he's also on um, doctors prescribed low dose B12. Uh, so, yeah, he wants to know if you've got any answers. Okay. How old's your husband? Uh, 70. 70. Um, is he still working or is he retired? No, no, he's retired, but he's very fit. Okay. He goes to the gym all the okay. time. Has he had any sort of injuries to his back along the way? No, no, not really, no. Okay, look, a condition like this can be obviously caused by a number of things, all of which may be difficult to actually isolate. It's, mm. it's good that you have done uh, the investigative pathway because frequently pins and needles can be associated with uh, pretty serious conditions, so mm-hmm. so it's good that the groundwork has been done. Mm. I'm, I'm going to make a few suggestions. Mm. Um, none of them are very expensive. The worst mm-hmm. aspect of it is that it might not help, but nothing else will help so far. So <laughs> you've, got, you've got everything to gain. Look, one of the things I'd recommend is that he have some um, what I would call manipulative or massage therapy. Um, yep. I'm a great fan of sensible manipulative therapy, particularly carried out uh, by an osteopath or a chiropractor. Um, I've seen some remarkable reversals of these sorts of mysterious conditions over the Mm. years as I've worked with many of my colleagues who practice this. Um, Mm. There's a very, very good uh, osteopath who works at Bowen's Natural Therapy Centre in Cumberland Street, Cessnock. But of Mm. of course, there are others equally good so first of all consider that option also mm-hmm. also there is a therapy uh, known as bowen therapy b-o-w-e-n oh, yep, yep, yep. 
that's a, Where, um, yeah, yes, I've heard of that. Okay, look, that that is an underestimated uh, modality, in my opinion, and um, it's very well practiced in our area. And that same clinic that I mentioned a moment a moment ago yep. has some excellent so-called Bowen therapists. So, right. as a starting base, uh, yeah. work along those lines. Second, okay. secondarily, um, don't overlook the ability of medical acupuncture to address problems like this. Mm-hmm. Now, I know a lot about acupuncture. I was actually the first to practice, in, practice it in Newcastle going right. back to the 70s before I became involved in herbal medicine. And right. I saw things happen with acupuncture that people uh, would, would laugh at and scoff. Mm-hmm. So don't, mm-hmm. overlook, don't overlook the possibilities of acupuncture therapy working, mm-hmm. if you like, along similar pathways to osteopathy and also the Bowen therapy. I would, I would do that. Now, I know that you have used, uh, from what you have said, uh, magnesium as, as, mm. a, as an agent. Uh, try getting hold of a preparation that has both magnesium and calcium combined. Okay. That would be a useful uh, way to go about doing it. And as a third thing, again, that is not expensive, uh, there is a, a herb called cramp bark. Now, I know, oh. I know the, the term implies an ability to deal with cramps, and certainly that American herb is renowned for its antispasmodic characteristics. It, okay. it might be useful to get hold of a preparation. I think there is one in the marketplace called mm. Cramp Cramp Ease. Cramp Ease, I'm okay. Sure, sure. Where, where do you live? Uh, well, then. Okay, look, I'm sure they would have it at Vitology at Warners Bay or yep. in, uh, in, in Westfield. Um, okay. Get hold of that, try that with some CalMag, but don't overlook um, the other therapies that I've mentioned. Yeah, sure. They're all worthwhile giving a go. Yep. Okie doke. That's great. Okay. Thanks very much for your help. Pleasure. Thank you for that call, Cathy, and uh, very, very uh, good advice there from Dennis. Now, we did have a lady ring up a moment ago while, while you were talking to, mm. to Cathy there. Um, she wanted to know if vitamin E, fish oil, and garlic thin the blood. Okay. Um, there is some literature particularly with reference to, uh, to fish oil and, um, and other agents which indicate there is the potential for some um, thinning of the blood. You mentioned vitamin E. Vitamin E, I'm not that familiar with as far as it having any significant um, potential to do that, but high doses of fish oil comes up in the literature as potentially an agent that could affect um, clotting, so it's some, something I'll be a bit cautious of. If you are on blood thinning medication, it would be worthwhile discussing um, that substance with your GP. Again, I come back to the point that a lot depends upon what level you're taking of fish oil. If you're working, say, at a higher level dosage, which some people work at if they're going to try to get relief from rheumatoid arthritis, you'd have to be working around about 6,000 milligrams a day. Now, that's an elevated dose, and in my opinion, that's the sort of thing that you would need to discuss with a healthcare professional, particularly if you're on um, anti-clotting medication, blood-thinning medication, people that may have had, say, a cardiovascular episode. So if you are on uh, a lot of those medications and you're ramping up the amount of these these items, I think so. yeah, Look, just be all, careful. Or the, the, the amount of information that's available now on Google and elsewhere is phenomenal. It's phenomenal. And uh, most people these days um, have access to that. 
But any of these things that you are taking, and it goes to supplements generally, people think that because something is natural that it has no potential to be a problem. Mm -hmm. Let me assure you that many over-the-counter supplements that people are purchasing in vast amounts, I mean vast amounts, many of those can interact with prescription medication or in fact conflict with each other. Uh, I had an episode, not an episode, but a case yesterday in my rooms at New Lambton where a dear lady, a lovely lady, came in particularly to get some advice on the supplements that she had accumulated via the net and locally over quite a few years. I couldn't tell you how many of these supplements there were, but I, I, I would estimate at the end of our consultation I would likely have saved that woman enough for a significant holiday and a holiday overseas <laughs> because many of the things that were being taken, in my opinion, were unnecessary. Sure. Many of them were duplicated and many of them uh, had claims made for them that are difficult to sustain. What are some of the things, that, in your opinion, have contributed to the epidemic around type 2 diabetes? Oh, there are a lot of things that have contributed to it. And again, for listeners, I would mention that one of the best references to uh, look at this topic is the book that I've mentioned on the program previously, a book which I think will change the thinking of many health professionals in this country. I see it as a landmark work, as significant as Professor Yudkin's book, Pure, White and Deadly. The, That's a uh, huge claim in itself, isn't it? It is indeed. Mm. And remember, we said it first on this program. We did. This book <laughs> we did. by Terence Keeley, Breakfast is a Dangerous Meal, raises a lot of the issues that you have just touched on there. Mm. What has caused this epidemic? And there are many of them, but probably, probably the most significant factor is the way in which we have become carbohydrate addicts. And we have, as a result of that, seen the content of sugar in our diet accelerate to the point where if one had to isolate a single factor, I would have to tend to agree with what's been written in this text, that sugar comes up as the major issue, as Professor Yudkin said mm -hmm. years ago, when he was at London University, he contradicted the theory of Ansel Keys. This was the theory where, um, where the the the, uh, the everybody went with fat is the problem That's instead right. of sugar, and so now we now we've come around exactly, to the other way. Exactly right. So Ansel Keys put forward the the, the theory, of course, that um, fats in the diet was the big ogre, that that was the cause of all these civilizational diseases. I'm overstating myself a little bit. Sure. Yudkin came and contradicted it. He said cardiovascular disease and the conditions that Keyes was relating to animal fats, etc., were more related to the sugar addiction and the way in which carbohydrates, particularly the acceleration of cereals in the diet, mm. and particularly the acceleration of fruit juices. You, you say fruit juices. I thought fruit juices were healthy. Fruit juices are concentrated fruits. There's nothing the matter with having an apple or an orange. But when you take multiple fruits and extract the juice from them, you have a very, very significant amount of sugar in that preparation, an incredible amount. In fact, there's a statistic in this text, Breakfast is a Dangerous Meal, which is mind-blowing. I've marked it so I can mention it quickly, I hope. But there's a statement here which says, the weekly intake of fruit juices, and this is going from... 1950 up to 2009, 
the weekly intake of fruit juice has increased from 7 mils to 300 mils a day. Over that period of time, fruit juice in the diet has accelerated to such a great level that many would see that as one of the major factors also in bringing, bringing sugar into the diet. Eat fruit. That's my contention. Eat fruit. Eat the orange. Eat the apple. Get kids to, ap uh, to eat these things, not to get high on fruit juices, many of which contain high levels of sugars. I guess when you have the, in, in a juice form, it kind of bypasses the, you know, the mouth in, a, in that Absolutely. sense that it, it just cuts out that whole digestion process and, and boom, a jolt straight it's down. Totally different mm. metabolic functioning. And mm. also um, what you're doing is having multiple uh, fruits, not just one apple, but maybe X number of apples and you're getting all the fruit juices, all the sugars from those fruits in that preparation that loads the kids up with sugar. They sit down increasingly to refined carbohydrate breakfast, which is uh, full of sugar itself, and then they sprinkle it with sugar. So they go, to, they go to school loaded with sugar. You continue that pattern over a number of years. We've moved away from the foods that built our parents and our grandparents, the rich protein foods, the eggs, the milk, the cheeses, the meats, Keyes did a great job on us when he argued that they were bad foods, despite the fact that many people living on those foods have experienced none of the diseases that he said they would create. Keyes promoted that idea. Yudkin contradicted it, but Yudkin wasn't listened to. And now we're starting to realise that, in fact, Keyes was off the track. Cholesterol in the diet doesn't necessarily cause cholesterol elevation. Yudkin would argue, others would argue... It's the carbohydrate content of the diet that is now responsible for many of the cardiovascular diseases we're experiencing. Just back to the uh, book again for a moment, Dennis, yeah, Breakfast yeah. is a Dangerous Meal, yeah. and you've sort of been yeah. reflecting uh, on the five-point program sure, sure. Uh, that has, uh, does address sure. type 2 diabetes. Can you just keep us up to date uh, for those who are coming in late on this? Well, I started this little journey, if you like, with mm. Jane a number of weeks ago, um, because I'm really very concerned. This is not just a, another taking up of the topic. I'm really concerned about this and the ramifications because people don't realise that type 2 diabetes is something uh, that, A, can creep up on you. I don't realise also that it can end up on insulin and that raises a whole range of problems as far as uh, health is concerned. I suggested that in understanding and doing something about type 2 diabetes, principle number one is get informed. I said that the last time we met. A lot of people don't understand what diabetes is all about. They don't understand what type 2 is about. And I mentioned a book by Dr. Sandra Cabot and her colleague, alas, called Jacinka. That book is a top work. It's, I think it's called, I haven't got it in front of me today. Mm. I mentioned it last week. I think it's called... Uh, you can reverse type 2, written by the good doctor in her very, very useful and scholarly style. It goes through what the condition is. It goes through the things that lead to it. It goes through the complications. It goes through the diet that can help it. It goes through looking at the herbs that can help it. So my view is for people that want to get in front of the game, so to speak, start to become informed about type 2, and Cabot's book, which is available from my rooms at 39 Alma Road, New Lambton, is a good starting base to get informed. The second thing that I said last week, and I'll emphasise it again today, 
is begin to participate. Now you say, what do you mean by participate? Just as Terence Keeley, as a medical practitioner, began to monitor his blood sugar levels with what's called a glucometer, so I suggest to people out there, particularly those that are pre-diabetic, where their doctor is saying, look, you'll have to do something, or maybe are type 2 diabetic, Get hold of a glucometer. You can get them from your good pharmacist. They are not expensive. And that allows that allows the individual to regularly test their blood sugar levels to see if their lifestyle and diet is improving their blood sugar profile. Start to participate. In my opinion, if you are a diabetic or a pre-diabetic, getting hold of a glucometer from your pharmacist and starting to log and monitor it is the best thing you can do. Just don't leave it up to the healthcare professional. Begin to participate, as I said last week, and I'll say it again, if we don't start to participate in our own health maintenance, please don't depend upon the overburdened healthcare system. It ain't going to be able to do it. It's barely doing it now. Begin to participate. It's about getting in front of the game, isn't it? It is. And another factor that needs to be terribly emphasised is look at lifestyle. Look at lifestyle, and you ask what has contributed to the diabetic um, situation. I would put it down to the accelerating sedentary lifestyle that now characterizes the Western world with affluence, uh, with improved living conditions, uh, with entertainment, with the change in the workplace. We have become very much a sedentary nation, a sedentary culture, and with that has brought with it some terrible consequences as far as weight gain, as far as insulin resistance, as far as type 2 tendencies. A statistic that's in, in the Keeley's book, which is quite fascinating, I, I should say it tongue-in-cheek if I can read it quite quickly, he points out that sitting in, sitting in front of a television for for... X amount of period of time a day can increase your tendency for type 2 diabetes by 20%. I'll read it so that listeners will will know that I'm not just uh, saying this off the top of my head. He says, uh, the last apparently mischievous observation has been confirmed. Pooling all the published data, a Danish Harvard group showed recently that every two hours spent watching television a day increases the chances of developing type 2 diabetes by 20%. So there's something to throw in to emphasise my point that it is, not just, it is not just diet and our addiction to carbohydrates, thank you Ansel Keys, uh, but it is also associated with sedentary lifestyle and being obsessed with the box. Dennis, we've got Elizabeth who's uh, on the phone at the moment from Wall's End wanting to talk with us about type 2 diabetes. Hello, Elizabeth. You're on the air with Dennis. Hi, Dennis. I'd just like to ask a question. Yes. Uh, women with blood type um, B positive, I was told that they're 35% higher risk of type 2. Is that right? Look, I'm not a haematologist, so I can't answer that question. Um, but if you have been told, if you have been told, by a medical professional that you have that likelihood or that tendency, then I would take it seriously because at this stage you're able to do something about perhaps working against that prophecy. 
Yeah, the only reason I ask, I just was in contact with a, a lady that had type 2 yes. and her two sons. As she went to the blood bank to give blood, yes. and they were told, oh, did you realise B positive blood groups are higher at risk? Yes. And I said, well, that's funny, I'm B positive. Yes. So I asked my doctor and he said, never heard of it. So I went on the internet and had a look, and it's in a journal of diabetes. Diabetologia. I don't know if that's the right mm-hmm. pronunciation. Uh-huh. And they just ask what it's got on here, 35% more likely to develop. More than the O and the B, B negative. It's always okay. positive. Okay. Look, this is why I said earlier, if your health professional had given you this advice, I think yeah. it needs to be respected. The fact that your GP may not have known about it, um, look, we don't know everything, and we, we can't therefore uh, say that because our GP didn't know about it that he wasn't up to scratch. It might be one of these things about which there is debate, but I'm interested that you Googled it. Uh, thank God for Mr Google. You Googled yeah. it You Googled it, and got that information, uh, which, from what you've mentioned, seems to be of a, of a medical nature, and seeing it was mentioned also at the blood bank, that needs to be respected. I don't know a lot about it. As I said earlier, I'm not a haematologist, but what I would do, what I would do if I were you, is take seriously that possibility and begin now to look at things and things you can do which are not going to cost you any money in oh, order no. in order to lessen this tendency or this likelihood. How old are you? Uh, 63. Well, you know, if you're 63, or the, the very factor that you're in this age bracket um, is, 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 is a little bit against you because as we, tend to, as we get older, type 2 diabetes tends to become more active. So even if you haven't had a diagnosis of either insulin resistance or type 2, it may be that you're in a situation where you have to look at things now to, to do for yourself that puts, yeah. you, puts you in a better bracket. And what I'd suggest is come back to what I said earlier about get informed. And you obviously are becoming informed, and I congratulate you for it, but get hold of the, the book that I mentioned um, by Dr. Sandra Cabot, which yeah. is available from my rooms at 39 Alma Road. We'd happily send it out to you. You can okay. you can ring that number on four nine five six two three two one four nine five six two three two one. Get informed. Take on board some of what we have said, and I think you'll find that some of your worry will begin to dissipate. Thank you for your call, Elizabeth, and lots of great information in there, Dennis. We're going to continue with those five mm, points that you okay. were starting to outline before the break. There. Yes. Look, I've already um, touched on uh, get get informed. And I keep mentioning that all my life, um, which has been a life of lecturing and teaching, I have encouraged people to become informed and, and, to, and to become interested in their health and health matters. Because, as I said earlier, getting informed puts you in touch with your condition and allows you, even with your healthcare professional, to be able to ask more sensible questions, perhaps to be taken more seriously to participate in your management even by using the glucometer, not just leaving it up to your GP to every six months or so give you what's called the HbA1c test, but being able to show from your diary of of, uh, readings that you've taken, being able to show that to your GP so that he can assess it and give you advice and confirm whether or not 
you're on the right track. I've said, look at lifestyle, and I quoted, a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but nevertheless from a reputable text, that the more hours we sit watching particularly the box, the wretched box, which has virtually, in my opinion, destroyed our culture, uh, people uh, will prefer to sit these days watching that, as do kids increasingly, with their uh, mobiles and other things. And all this means that we're doing less, we're, do we're burning less calories, we're putting on weight, our minds are becoming befuzzled, and we're listening to a lot of propaganda from the pushes of foods that may not be good for us and bringing those into our diets and, as a result, exploding. Of course, on the other side of that, you could be watching the Dennis Stewart podcast at 2NURFM.com <laughs> and learning new words. Oh, be you fuzzled. Are. Oh, you're so good. Be fuzzled. You're, you're so good. That's a new word. That did not exist until two <laughs> minutes ago. Listen, I make nothing out of this program. <laughs> I needed to come in there and say that. But no, look, that point, point is valid. Um, I, I have um, grandchildren, 11 of them, and they're all great kids. But I despair at the way in which they and the, and the, whole, the whole generation become increasingly addicted to sedentary things, uh, playing games, looking at their, their iPads, uh, and all that frequently lessens their desire to get out and do what I did when I was a kid. Uh, that lifestyle, in my opinion, which we've created today, needs to be seriously addressed, seriously addressed. How you address it, I don't know, perhaps just warning people that lack of exercise, lack of getting off our behind putting a screen over the box, these things are going to be necessary if we're going to withstand the epidemic. I think I'll just put my phone over there. Dennis doesn't <laughs> want to see me on that. Brian at Wall's End, you would like to talk to Dennis about our topic today, which is diabetes. Yeah, that's correct. Hello. Um, yeah, hi, Dennis. Uh, I've been listening to you a long time. Thank you. Um, I'm very confused at the moment. I've read a lot of literature on that. You can reverse diabetes in yes. 30 days yes. and uh, yes. seven steps to good health. Yes. I've carried that out yes. and actually got off insulin yes. to the point where I didn't need it anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, but the medical profession's not really that crash hot about that mm -hmm. because I've still got to go back and get a license through them. Yes. Um, and uh, so they need to uh, sort of keep me on the insulin. They're pushing me to go back onto insulin because I have a lot of weight loss. Yes. Uh, they put me on a new tablet called Garden or something mm -hmm. like that. I've lost four kilos in two weeks. Yes. So um, so uh, what is your concern? Uh, well, they're just tracking down now. Apparently they're looking for ketones to see if it's type 1 or type 2. So right. I'm a little confused on um, uh, just to go with the medical profession or try to do it on his own with alternate medicine, no, basically. Look, no, bit of advice here. Diabetes is diabetes. And when we're talking about uh, insulin resistance and pre-diabetic conditions, and even perhaps the early stage of type 2, there is a lot that the individual can do under guidance, under guidance from the healthcare professional to stop the condition reaching that stage that you seem to have reached. The way that you need to go now, and I say this to any diabetic out there, is to work with your medical people you are in a critical stage and you need to work well with them because if you make a mistake here and you do not get good management, you can end up in problems. Um, if, right. they're, if they're suspecting uh, that you're drifting towards a type 1, that needs to be confirmed and the medical treatment and medical management is the only way to go. Okay, okay. 
Well, that, that's good. That's cleared my mind. Um, I, I can give up trying to do it myself, and I'll just go under the care of the medical profession. Well, put it day. this way: if you if you are in the area of type one diabetes, and if you are insulin dependent, you necessarily need to be monitored by your GP. Uh, but this doesn't overcome the need also to look at healthy things like diet and lifestyle. Even if you are a type one. Uh, diabetic, uh, insulin dependent, there is still a lot of things, in my opinion, that you can do to lessen some of the problems that may arise along the way. And there are a number of things you may well be able to do to lessen your need for accelerating levels of medication. Um, So there are a lot of people, for instance, that I would like to think that I have helped uh, who have type 1 who are taking uh, supplements like the bilberry which I consider to be almost uh, self-evident for, for people with diabetes as a protective supplement for things like uh, diabetic retinopathy or peripheral vascular disease. So there are a number of supplements that, again, uh, Sandra Cabot mentions in that book, which primarily being oriented towards type 2, nevertheless has a number of supplements that can be useful also for type 1 individuals. So even if you are type 1, necessarily under the care of your GP, and I say necessarily, don't overlook the need to still take on board some of what we have said about the need for a sensible lifestyle, a sensible dietary approach, and ways and means in which, working with your doctor, you may well be able to keep your level of medication at its present level rather than seeing it accelerate. Right. Thank you very much for that call, Brian from Wallsend. Hope uh, Dennis was able to answer those questions for you. In a moment, we'll come back with Graham from Adawi. Also, some more questions Mm. about uh, diabetes and diet. But uh, firstly, one for you, Dennis, out of the events calendar for our sponsor law partners, Newcastle's leading injury lawyers. Make your own compost bin. You can do that tomorrow. No? I'm impressed. He's impressed? Okay. That's Dennis Stewart. He's uh, re- really been prepping us with this book over the last couple of weeks. Breakfast is a dangerous meal, and we look forward to more of that next week. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business, and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.